Hello and welcome to another episode of HL Pensions Pod. Uh, I'm joined today by my colleague Katie Banks, who's head of pensions. And as we did last year, we're going to be looking at the changing um, field for defined benefit schemes. Um, last year we looked forward to 2023. This year we're looking into our crystal ball, or perhaps the crystal globe, and looking at what's going to happen over the coming 12 months of 2024. Um, Katie, it's been a busy year, as 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 always with pensions. Should we start with tax? Because I think that was the headline grabber. Hi, Duncan. Yes, there's a lot to talk about because I think the law changes every week in pensions and uh, the government hasn't held back on announcing further ideas for further reform. But let's uh, look at the finance bill. Uh, this has come about following the announcement of the uh, abolishment of the lifetime allowance. It was uh, quite, quite a shock, yes, wasn't it? You were, I, was, yes. I was listening to Jeremy Hunt and um, in the budget and he said people thought I should raise the LTA. Well, I'm not. I'm going to abolish it, which was said shockwaves through uh, me. And, and then we had Labour immediately say, well, we would reinstate it. So it was quite an exciting time. And we had the, the changes in the law to make sure that there was no LTA charge, but now they're actually trying to change the law to reflect that the fact that there isn't going to be a lifetime allowance at all. And actually, it's never simple with pensions, is it? It's all turned out to be rather complicated. And uh, one of the challenges is dealing with the transitional arrangements, because now we're going to have a, a limit on lump sums, both payable uh, when you retire and also on death. And it means that you have to track the lump sums that people have had in the past. And people may not always have the data that they need to um, be able to uh, provide the information necessary to, for the certainty. So we're going to have two two ways of doing that, the government says. One is where you've got full details of all the lump sums you've ever taken, and then those lump sums will be deducted from um, the maximum lump sum that you can take in the future. But if you haven't got that, then there's going to be a, a rough rule of rule of sum, which will be basically 25% of the previous benefit crystallization events that you've had. And um, I mean, that hasn't been signed off yet, but I, I think that uh, with finance bills, that's, they don't that's where it's going. We, too much. We did have the finance bill published uh, late November, I think, and there's 100 pages dedicated to, to the pension changes, i.e. to get rid of the LTA and replace it with this effective cap on the tax-free lump sum. And as you say, it's it, the transitional provisions are going to be the hardest for administrators to get their head around. Yes, yeah, so it's another um, challenge for administrators on top of dealing with dashboards and GMP equalisation. So uh, another hard working year for them, I think. Yes, they're, they're, they're very much under pressure, I think, administrators. I, I listened to our podcast from last year before um, coming up here today. And uh, one of the things we were moaning about was GMP equalisation and my experience is it hasn't moved much further forward over the last 12 months. Well, I've, I have completed um, a couple this year, one in relation to a scheme that was uh, going through to buy out, so therefore we had a deadline. But the other one was a scheme where they had an in-house administration team. And because they had in-house administrators, they were able to, to get to the front of the queue because they were the only people in the queue. Whereas my other schemes, the administrators are all 
um, administering queues. Yeah. Uh, and unless you've signed your engagement letter for the GMP equalization project, you're not in the queue. Yeah, well, un understood. So let's move on to the funding levels. Last year, we, we, we predicted, we talked about a bit about LDI um, and how schemes had come through the LDI crisis. Uh, and we also talked about an increase in buy-ins. And I've certainly seen an uptick in buy-ins. We've seen some very large buy-ins over the last few months. Uh, jumbo buy-ins, I think, is what, what the Bank of England called them. Um, what about funding? How, how are you feeling about funding? Well, it's all changed, isn't it, Duncan? Um, last year, we were expecting a funding code and regulations that required trustees to implement very conservative investment policies and to match their funding to their liabilities or match their investment policies to their liabilities. And now we've got the government encouraging trustees to look at productive finance. So we're expecting another set of funding regulations that will probably look quite different from the last draft we had. And we've been told that they'll apply to valuations from autumn 2024 onwards. And once we've got those regulations, then we'll expect another version of the code. Um, where the regulator, I assume, falls into line with the government's idea that productive finance is a good idea. Yes, because again, last year we were predicting that um, the, the the funding code would be published quite soon, um, i.e. in early 2023 and would apply. And I believe we pick up on the great line that this new funding code, when it finally comes out, is likely to apply to any schemes with evaluational after autumn 2024. So it's going to take a little while to to, to come through. Um, and then we were also expecting, at the time, I think last year, we called it the single code. It may have been rebadged the general code by then. Uh, any signs on that, Katie, do you think, in 24? Well, we hear on the Great Rhine, it's all ready to go. But I have heard that before. We also wonder whether they will review it for this productive finance idea. Um, and, you know, it, the, the general code is supposed to have put in one place all the codes that trustees are supposed to have. And perhaps if they have to have a, a different type of investment policy, perhaps the general code will say something about that. But that would mean more changes need to be made. Uh, so who knows? Yes, there seems lots of big ideas, big policy ideas out there, Mansion House and LTA and things, but it's actually getting down to the nitty-gritty. And actually, one of the things we haven't talked about, Duncan, is we are going to have a general election next year. So one of the things that I wonder about is, will they get through all these ideas before they call a general election? And of course, there's PERDA for six weeks before the general election. If it's spring next year, I think they'll prioritise the uh, finance bill. Um, I don't know what else they'll manage. Uh, if it's autumn next year, they, they might get through more of their ideas. Of course, during PERDA, no one in the civil service can do anything uh, political, uh, so no regulations would be drawn, would be published. Then, if we have a new government, the new pension minister, etc., would have to get comfortable with with the the um, the policies and and the, the legislation. Um, okay, so um, but generally, I think it's fair to say. DB scheme funding levels have improved significantly over the last 18 months or so. Whereas we were, we'd spent a lot of time over the last 10, 15 years resolving deficits and putting in place security funding plans. It's changed 
very quickly. And now we're looking at escrow accounts and arrangements for dealing with uh, surpluses and things like that. Um, can we talk a bit about the uh, surpluses? I know I'm going a bit off script here, Casey, but um, bear with me. Because the government has announced uh, that, that it wants to encourage surpluses and there's consultation expected. Yes, we're, we're expecting consultation on making it easier to repay surplus to employers, both in a winding up and while the scheme is ongoing, and making it easier to share the surplus with members. And, and what we think they mean by that is um, making it easier to hand out money to members. At, at the moment, any payment has to be an authorised payment, so you can't pay a, a little bonus to somebody uh, as a pensioner um, or... or all uplifts to pensions have to be for life. So if you haven't got enough money to increase people's pensions for life, you, at the moment, it's, it's a challenge. Yeah, it's like a ratchet. Once you've given that improvement, you can't take it away. Yeah. But this idea is a, like a bonus. Well, actually, well, I think we're just implying that into what they might mean by easier to share with members, because at the moment, it's quite easy to share with members if you've got enough money to uplift their pension. So we, this is what we think they mean. A lot of schemes did that in the in the early nineties, late nineties, gave improvements because they had surpluses then, and then came to regret it later on. And the other thing that we're expecting is the rate of tax on surplus refunded to employers to go down from thirty five percent to twenty five percent. We've noticed that's not in the finance bill, but it, it doesn't have to be because the tax rate could be changed by order. Yeah. Okay. And then this idea of um, PPF providing a hundred percent cover. That's a consultation idea, isn't it? They've said they're going to consult on it. Um, it's this, this winter, isn't it? Uh, yes, that's right. Um, so July. <laughs> well, hopefully winter will be over by July. Uh, uh, the the uh, yeah the idea is that uh, trustees and um, maybe you'll need employer consent can elect to pay a higher levy and therefore get 100% compensation from the PPF. Now, I mean, that, that is going to be a challenge for the PPF because at the moment they have a streamlined, streamlined administration service where uh, the benefits are harmonised amongst all the people who enter the PPF. And now they will have to reflect the quirks of every scheme that comes over to them if people have been paying this higher levy. And, and we assume that if you've paid it for one year and your employer becomes insolvent, then you, um, you get the coverage anyway. And we assume that if you stop paying it um, for one year and you go in the next year, that you don't get the higher coverage, just like, you know, your contents um, insurance. Yes, it changes the dynamic a bit for a trustee, doesn't it, knowing they've got this 100% backstop. So we did have the case of uh, Bywater and ITS and Hope about gaming the PPF. Um, if, if you know you've got 100% backstop, then... Why not take more risk with your investments? Put them all into this so-called productive finance and see see how it goes. Yes, and I think it's very hard for the PPF to prove that you have gained the PPF because if your investment um, decisions are within the realm of reasonable and based on advice, it would be hard to say, oh, you, you were doing that just because the PPF was there. The employer might also have something to say about it yes. uh, because they would still be around and having to pick up any deficits that were created by volatile investment bonds. Yes, so some interesting discussions when that consultation comes out in, in the winter. Um, last year, we talked about super funds and capital back journey plans. Um, and the idea of consolidation is, is very hot 
DB consolidation is 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 a hot topic with with the politicians. We know we we've seen the uh, Sears scheme, the first scheme to go into Clara. What are your predictions for super funds or capital back journey plans over the coming twelve months? I think that Clara will pick up more clients. Super funds appeal to uh, to trustees where they're not confident about the sponsor going forward. I was talking to uh, a colleague of mine in the insolvency sphere recently, and they said that they think there are some more distress cases brewing as interest rates have increased and borrowings have gone up. So we might see trustees who are worried about the future of their scheme, um, who are better funded than the PPF, but who don't expect to have enough money to buy out in total, looking at the consolidators as an option. And I think the consolidators really do appeal in that grey area between above PPF but not rich enough to buy out because buying out uh, is regarded as the gold standard. So I think there might be more schemes in that sort of zone. Um, and now that, that Clara's approved, I think they'll be out um, explaining the benefits of the product to trustees in need. Yes, but there is talk of making the PPF a, a, a consolidator itself. Uh, any thoughts on that? Well, I was talking to um, somebody at the PPF and they were saying that the aim is to be a consolidator for schemes that other people don't want. So that will be very interesting to see in the consultation at whom they're aiming it at. And I think they've got in mind schemes for very small uh, numbers of members, two or three members rather than the, I think, you know, the Sears scheme was hundreds of millions, I think. Yeah. So I think that they might be aiming at different um, markets. And, and so I'm going to be very keen to see when that consultation comes out, who, who they're aiming at. I, t I think there were about 2,000 DB schemes with less than 100 members. So presumably it's that end of the market, not not the, the really large schemes. Uh, but that puts some um, competition issues with, with the private sector consolidators. And capital back journey plans, I saw a blog from the, the regulator on that. Yes, I mean, they, they've commented that they've looked at a few, but they haven't approved any yet. I do know that the market is, that there's activity in the market. And again, I think it will be aimed at um, schemes that um, don't expect to be able to buy out because again, that's the gold standard, but it may well help schemes where they are worried about the future and that this will be a way that costs less to the employer to get to a better level of security than they have at the moment. And uh, so we may see we may see some more. I know you're an expert on this area and have released a podcast on it, so I won't say any more because time is pressing. Let's go to the courts now because it's been a busy year for the courts. Uh, two big cases, I think. Do you want to talk through? Um, well, we had the Virgin Media case, and this concerned a scheme that was contracted out um, after 1997 on the reference scheme test basis. And the legislation contains some quite specific provisions about um, the hoops you have to go through to make a valid amendment. And the judge in that case uh, looked at them very rigidly and said, unless you had specifically ticked the boxes very accurately, your amendment was not valid, even if um, the scheme continued to satisfy the requirements for contracting out legislation. And that, if it stands, could be quite uh, a big issue for the industry because 
people may not have ticked all the boxes as religiously as the judge had hoped that everybody would. And then we might have significant changes falling by the wayside. But we do know there is going to be an appeal on some of the aspects of that case. And we understand from our great knowledge team here that the hearing is due on the 25th of June, 2024. To the Court of Appeal? Yes. Yep. And then the BBC are also going to the Court of Appeal. Yes. Well, why don't you talk about that, Ardan? Because I think you've been following it more than me. The, the BBC scheme had a, an amendment power that talked about you can't amend members' interests. And um, it was the question was, what is a member's interest? Can you effectively change their future service benefits? Can you close the scheme to future court? And the, the, the judge in, in the High Court held that interests include your future rights. Um, and, and that means that effectively the BBC can't take away um, or reduce the, the rights of active members of, of the BBC pension scheme. Well, but, I suppose they could ask members to agree to change. Yes, with, without the, the members' consent, but it's a large scheme. Um, so they're going to the Court of Appeal to say, is that really the law? Well, that would be helpful, actually, because quite a few schemes have the reference to interests in yes. their amendment powers. And and it's going to be a bit like the cases we had on CPI, RPI, when we're going to have to go back and look at specific powers of amendment and see this, the actual wording used and compare it with the, the likes of uh, the BBC amendment power. And we have the cases of Gleeds and Sterling and Courage, all of which talked about things like accrued rights, secured rights. So depending on the Court of Appeal decision, we might be busy doing some archaeology into historic ruling amendments. And when's that one going to be heard, Duncan? Um, I'm told that's also in June. So the Court of Appeal has a, a double whammy of uh, pension appeal cases to, to, to consider. Um, then I think let's let's think about wrapping up now. Um, trustee registration. It feels like the regulator wants to control trustees more, monitor them more. Do you want to... Yes, so there's going to be a requirement for trustees to register. And uh, we think that this will be so that they can monitor them more. And, and trustees will also have to uh, submit to that registration uh, a record of what they've done for trustees' knowledge and understanding. So I think there will be some more accountability for trustees. Okay. Well, um, thank you very much, Katie. At this one of your last days in the office before you go off for a three-month sabbatical, uh, swapping pensions for penguins, as someone said to me the other day. Enjoy your travels. And uh, until the next time, thank you for listening. Thank you very much, Duncan.